to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 16 as we share the seventh of the eight covenants of this study. Tonight we will share the Davidic covenant, and for our scripture in 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 11, at the end of the verse, it says, Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. There's another similar reading over in Chronicles, First Chronicles in the 17th chapter. I'm not going to go there and read it, but this is the Davidic covenant. But what we find in the reading that we just shared is an emphasis towards Solomon, and then over in Chronicles, there's an emphasis toward our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ there. And as we look at the participants of this covenant, you can probably guess or know that it is God and it is David. This is God's covenant to David. David is head of the Davidic house. David is the only one who can claim the Davidic throne. It has been given to him in this unconditional covenant of God to David. Now, as we look at the provisions of this covenant, we're going to see seven provisions in this covenant tonight. And the first thing we're going to see is David's success, we'll call it. David's success there at the end of verse 11. It says, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. David here is promised a dynasty, if you will. A dynasty is made up of people related to one another. And so we see a, a promised dynasty for David here. And you know, and throughout the Bible, we see the word eternal or everlasting with this covenant a lot. This is an eternal covenant that has been made to David. It's eternal because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming through this lineage and our Lord and Savior is eternal. So all of this is eternal because of Him. And as we consider the lineage, we have talked a lot about many different things through these studies. And one thing is the lineage of the Messiah. It is starting to narrow down. It has been narrowing and, and tapering down, 
if you will, there's been a gradual narrowing of this seed of the woman that we talked about in the Edenic covenant. Now getting down to the Davidic covenant, it's like a funnel. In the Edenic covenant, it's like the top of the funnel. And now we're down to the bottom of the funnel. Because in Genesis 3.15, in the Edenic covenant, it speaks of our Messiah being uh, of the seed of the woman. Now, as you look at that, that could include all humanity, okay? So, so you have a wide span of, of what this could be concerning who Jesus comes through. But as we get into the lineage, we start to see a taper. Because as we get into the Abrahamic covenant, we see that it can't be all of humanity, but all of Jewish humanity is who the Messiah is going to come through. And that would include the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Can, can you imagine every Jewish woman, you know, not, maybe not everyone, but, but some that didn't understand all the details, but just knew that the Messiah was going to be born of a Jewish woman. Can you imagine every or many expecting women excited about the thought of entertaining the possibility of, of giving birth to the Messiah? And, and so it was, you know, it was encapsulated now to all of Jewish humanity, uh, you know, which could be of any of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it gets down to being of just one tribe of Israel, the tribe of Judah. And so we're getting much more specific now. And tonight, as we get into the Davidic covenant, we see that the Messiah is coming through the seed of David. And as we think about this lineage, and as we think about this dynasty, and as we think about everything that God has laid out through the steps of how the Messiah would come to us, and we think of this covenant, look, this is something, this is a kingdom, this is a covenant that can never be destroyed. I'm not prophesying to you tonight. We don't receive new revelation from God now, but sharing prophecy of the word of God. This is a covenant that still goes on now, by the way, and it's a covenant that will never be destroyed. It is an eternal, it, it is an eternal, uh, not destiny, but a, an eternal, what did I call it? Dynasty, dynasty, a new word I just tried to put in there, just talking about the lineage of our Lord and Savior. Word sounded good to me. It's a dynasty. That's exactly what it is. And it will always exist. It exists even now. Now, we don't know who the Jewish people are that are of this house of David now, but it's an eternal dynasty Okay, so it's still going on now and it shall continue. Uh, there's a present existence of the house of David. We know this because of God's promise. When God assures something and when God promises something, you do not have to have any doubt whatsoever. I, heard, I went to a Bible conference some dozen years ago. And the title of a sermon was, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And it's as simple as that when it comes to our God and what He has promised. 
There's no doubt about it. No human action, no human activity, no human aim at intervening in any way in the things of God can touch the promises of God. It can't change what God has done. His promises and His unconditional covenants, they can't be shattered by man whatsoever in any way. So we see David's success that the Lord is going to make him a dynasty. And now we see David's successor in verse 12. It says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So we not only see a lineage carrying on into the future from David, but a law upheld. There would be a kingly rule executing law and judgment over the territory and over the people. And so there is going to be some, some law and, uh, and it was going to be carried out by one of his sons. Now, Jesus is the son of David, but he's coming along later in the lineage. But David had some sons. And we see that he has a son that is going to carry on this lineage in the, in the kingdom. And I won't go through all of his sons, but I will say that Absalom is not the one. Absalom is not the one that God would use. We would probably all vote for Absalom. Absalom is handsome. Absalom was very charming. He was extremely charming to Israel. Israel thought Absalom was extraordinary. I mean, he was eloquent. He was, he was, just had these leadership type qualities. I mean, he had them hook, line, and sinker. If Absalom walked into even many true churches today, Absalom would have everybody's vote. He would get a lot of followers really quick with his persuasiveness and his professionalism. You know, I think we ought to work hard at everything we do. I think we ought to strive to be good at what we do. But we can be glad that we are not overboard and anal about professionalism as we worship the Lord. I mean, because we would be sold on Him, I'm afraid. And many others who can act a part. Absalom, man, he looked good, and he sounded good, and he acted a part, and he could hide things oh so well. Absalom had it all, and then some. Absalom had an ego. Absalom was very selfish. He was unloyal. He had a secret agenda against his own father, David. He, he contributed and was part of the murder of his own brother. And Absalom ended up dying tragically. He is not the seed. In verse 12, as it talks about the seed and, and it's of David that that would come about. It wasn't just any of David's sons. It was none other than Solomon. It was only Solomon 
who would take over as David's successor. And he was immediately established when the time came. He was promised a continual rule. He would be part of the continual rule of the things of God. He would not be part of the perpetual seed though. He wouldn't be part of the posterity, okay? But he would be on the other end it. Uh, the other end of it, in the lineage, in the royal lineage, if you will. It, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 1, you know all the begats in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and you will find that, you will find that Solomon comes after David in that lineage. But if you turn over to Luke chapter 3 and you go to verse 31, you will find that it will be Nathan after David in that lineage. So is there a, a mess up here in the lineage? Did we mess it up? No. In Matthew, that's talking about the royal lineage. And in Luke, it's talking about the real family lineage, okay? It's talking about two different lineages here. So so Solomon wasn't the precise son that the bringing about of the Messiah would come through. It was Nathan. It wasn't Solomon. But Solomon was promised that he would endure forever in a continual rule. And we're going to get into it in a minute that Solomon, Solomon did sin, as you all know. He wasn't removed, though. He was chastised. For what he had done. Now let's go to verse 13 and look at another provision. Let's look at David's setback. It says, He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And as I said, there's, there's highlights of Solomon in this as we t talk about this covenant to David here. And we see a setback for David. David had a very worthy ambition. David had a desire to do something good in the things of God. To do something specifically for God. He wanted to build God a house. I mean, what's wrong with that? That's something good to do. David had a, a heart to want to do that. And, and I tell you what, the prophet Nathan got so excited about it and on board with David, he didn't even consult God about it. He just gave David the thumbs up and said, yeah, go do it. He didn't even consult. The, the prophet didn't go to the Lord about it for him. You know, anytime there's been opportunity for service, say a position in the church, a teaching position or whatever, you know, the, a typical thing that is said is, to pray about it. Look, look, I may, may want you to teach this class if it's on your heart too. I don't want an answer right now. Go pray about it. And so, you know, that's something typical that's said. And I hope that's taken seriously because that's something we should do. We don't go to the prophet today to, that he receives revelation from the Lord to give to us about ministry opportunity, about any decision in our lives. But we can go to prayer, and prayer makes a difference. Prayer changes things. I'm not talking about an immediate answer right right in your heart and in, in, in the very core of your soul or anything like that. But when we pray, God works through circumstances. 
and He arranges things. And when we're really putting on the brakes and we are really seeking the Lord, and we are, as the Old Testament says over and over, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. That word wait means trust so many times. We're trusting the Lord for this decision. Look, that, that's extremely important. That is a must for you and I. And we need it because there's many people that have an idea they conjure up in their mind. And, and it's, it's for church maybe, it's for, it, maybe it's for their personal life, but they just have this idea and then they have this hitch and they put God on that hitch and bring God along and say, God's in this, this is what God wants and God hasn't even been spoken to about it. You know, it's as if the Lord would say, hold on, what is this you're talking about here? Not that God doesn't know everything, but the idea that we haven't gone humbly before Him and asked Him. Because it is so easy for self to get in our way. We can have our own desires for self. We can have our own desires for others and in decision and in ministry and service to the Lord and for this church. And, and how would we do that knowing that God is in our circumstances? God is in the details. He wants to be in the details. He wants to be sought out. He wants us to seek Him with all of our heart for whatever He would want for our lives. I remember as a young Christian, and I still do it to this day, but I did it a whole lot when I first got saved. I hadn't been around Christians, and man, they were able to make good decisions. I'd been around a lot of people they made bad decisions and carnal decisions and sinful decisions and self-decisions. So, man, I see these, these, these men and these families, their wives and everything, so great. And I'm going, I want that. So I'll go prick people's minds and hearts and, hey, hey, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm kind of wanting to do this. There's a decision in my life. And I'll go, I'll go to somebody who's already been there in 30 years or 20 years down the road. Man, they're valuable. And a lot of times, sometimes I'd get an answer when I pushed them for one. A lot of times they'd tell me, go pray about it. That's a must. That's a must. Whenever, whenever Nathan got around to including the Lord in David's good desire to do something good for God that he really wanted to do, and, and everybody would probably say, yeah, that sounds great. The prophet said it was great. Others would probably say it's great. And God said no. God didn't have David to do this great deed that he wanted to do. He had shed so much blood in battle. He was responsible for the blood of Uriah. And Solomon was the one. Solomon was the one that he used to build the house for the Lord. David wanted to build the Lord a house. But the Lord ended up building David a house. He made him a, what is it, a dynasty. And he did something different with David. The, the Lord has... Really precise plans. Now, now don't, don't go sit home on eggshells wondering about what you're going to have for breakfast the next day. I believe I have prayed and prayed about things and I think God's answer was probably, I don't care, do whichever. 
Not saying everything matters, but there's so many important things in life that we have got to pray about and seek the Lord about. And, and the answer many times is going to be different from what we want. And that's when we humble ourselves before the Lord and we realize that His will is better than our will. And His ways and His thoughts are far above our ways and our thoughts. We can trust Him and we need to humble ourselves before Him. But we see David set back there. Now let's look at David's seat in verse 13 and verse 16. The end of verse 13, it says, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And in verse 16, it says, And thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Man, we talk about a, a dynasty. We talk about a kingdom. And then when we talk about a throne, this is symbolic for supreme power and authority. Supreme power and dignity. The saying, sitting on the throne, is the idea of exercising power. And this is what was given and established forever. This throne was established forever. It's the throne that Jesus is going to be on in the millennial reign. You understand? A throne that is going to go on and on. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30. Verses we may hear another time this month. It says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David." He will take up the throne just as he is with his father concerning that throne that is in heaven that he sets at right now. We're talking about an eternal throne of, of power. We think about everything going on in this world right now and everybody desires power and there's a huge fight for power that we might have some good moral things or and there's a big a big vicious push for the immoral things and everybody wants power but the ultimate power is going to take up his throne one day a throne that is never ending a throne that is eternal uh, as I go to the book of Revelation as John received revelation concerning while he was on the Isle of Patmos concerning the things that he saw. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain 
For the former things are passed away, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Man, I want to be on God's side. I do not want to be on the majority of this world side. I mean, it's it's just like in Gideon's day, he's the same God where 300 took out 135,000. I would rather be not on the side with a thousand, but just me with God and just you with God. That's all That's all you needed to be. Um, I heard a preacher on the radio, and I don't know why I keep turning it on him. I don't agree with his doctrine. I think I like the sound of his voice. Isn't that silly? But he. I don't listen to a whole sermon. I just turn him on for a minute. I think it's for entertainment. But he did make a good statement. Anybody can make a good statement. And he said, he said, you teenagers, you boys and girls, you might have to spend a lot of time alone at school. It's better to be alone with God at school than to be in the crowd doing everything that they're doing. And, and, and the power of our God on his throne, it is forever. And we need to consider those same things. We see David's seat there, but we also see David's sustaining in verses 14 and 15 for another provision, it says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, who, put, who I put away before thee. Saul was removed from kingship. The loving kindness was removed from Saul. Saul was not part of this covenant. He, this wasn't a covenant thing with Saul. But it, but it was with Solomon. And Solomon's sin was worse than Saul's. Solomon's sin was, was idolatry. And that was, that was worse than anything that Saul did. But God's loving kindness was promised. We've seen this over and over throughout these covenants. Look, and I'm not trying to promote sin here, but I am trying to deflate ourselves in that it's not about us when it comes to God's promises. It's about Him. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead us to abuse an eternal promise that we can't lose or break no matter what, but to, but to love God and to live for God and to cherish and to praise Him for His promises He's made. But His promises are about Him. He is the one that is going to be faithful to His promises, and He was in spite of Solomon. And He is to us in spite of us. How... How much glory should God get that He endures us and He works with us and He starts growing us up and He uses us through all of our trips and failures that we might start abounding. He's a good teacher. He's a very patient teacher. He is so loving. It's the, the love that God has. It's something that we really can't absorb. We're not going to absorb all of what God's love is until we get to heaven. But be sure of this. It's not a human product. It's not an earthly product. It's nothing that we could ever relate to in our humanity whatsoever. This unselfish, sacrificial love of our Father that He has for you and I. 
in this eternal covenant. And remember that it's ongoing because of David's seed. The eternal establishment is because of not one of David's immediate children at the time, but a son that would come along. The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David who would come later. His name is eternal life. His name is everlasting father. He is the alpha and omega. He is eternal. His power is eternal. His throne is eternal. His kingdom is eternal because He is eternal. We can summarize this covenant up with four eternal things that we're seeing tonight. An eternal dynasty, an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom, eternal ancestors, eternal descendants through this lineage. The importance of this covenant is that it's related to the Abrahamic covenant. Because God said that He would make Abraham a father of many nations. The lineage started there. And then now as we get down to the Davidic covenant, we see after the provision that Abraham had, now in the Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant is confirmed. And Abrahamic covenant is amplified by what God is now continuing to do through the lineage. The status of this covenant being unconditional, it is very, very much in effect today. And these aren't sermons we're sharing, but you always kind of think of how you might want to close even a Bible study with a thought. And, you know, we see God's faithfulness here. We've hopefully been thinking about God's loving kindness tonight, God's absolute promises tonight that are unbreakable by anyone. I hope we see them tonight. I hope we're blessed by them tonight. David saw them through the prophecy. David believed the prophecy, and when he received that word, of what God was going to do with him. He didn't deserve to be the apple of God's eye, but because of God's goodness, he was. And God was going to use him for that. David was absolutely grateful. He was thankful. He praised the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. If you'd like a little homework tonight, look at verses 18 through 29, and you'll see David just erupting in thankfulness to God for all that God had done. He was he submitted himself to the will of God, bowing before the Lord in prayer. And along came a time, the full when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made under the law by the seed of the woman. And and Jesus already had his first coming. He came and he fulfilled prophecy. And he lived a perfect life. And he died a death that satisfied the justice of God. He lived a life that satisfied the righteousness of God. And God raised him up and he ascended to heaven. And the gift of eternal life has been offered to us. All of the prophecy was fulfilled in the bringing about of Christ to change everything, to take us into a day of grace that we might have the gift of eternal salvation. I believe we ought to give just as much gratitude and just as much praise as David did. 
that we ought to glorify God and be forever thankful in our hearts for a promise He has made to us. I mean, He has come to the unlovable and has initiated love. And again, this is a love that we really don't know anything about in its sacrificial way. But we trust Him and we've received His love and He saved Him. He saved us. We ought to praise Him just like David did. And offer thanks to him. Maybe maybe we can go home tonight. I like to read before bed. I like for the Bible to be the last thing on my mind before I go to sleep. Uh, I'm not superstitious or anything. I think it. I just think it's good. I think it's good to do that. And that those might be some good scriptures that we might share tonight. Well, God is faithful. Amen. Count on His promises. Brock Bullard, it's good to have you back, brother. Would you close us in a word of prayer?